1992, there was a blockbuster movie. It was called A Few Good Men. And it <clears throat> produced one of the greatest, I think one of the greatest lines um, in movie history. It was, uh, well, let me give you the context. You've got, uh, it, was, it was a legal thriller, so you have uh, a Navy lawyer played by Tom Cruise. And you, and you got this tougher-than-nails base commander, and, and he's the commander of uh, Guantanamo Bay. It's all fiction. Uh, but he's the, the, the commander of Guantanamo Bay, and, and that's Jack Nicholson. Right, so you got the picture. And uh, this, this base commander is just being grilled by the Navy lawyer because um, there's been a soldier who died because of a hazing incident on the base. And uh, the Navy lawyers suspect that it was the base commander who gave the okay for the hazing, which resulted in his death. And so the, the, the lawyer is just grilling uh, the base commander, and he's and he and he says, "I want to know the truth." And the base commander famously says, "Does anybody know? You can't handle the you truth. You can't handle the truth." <laughs> it's a great line. You can't handle the truth, and it's a great line because it, it speaks to this issue of how we handle truth. What do we do with it? Um, in the last hours of Christ's life, while Jesus was before Pilate, the, po the most powerful man in the region, uh, Jesus said this, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is, testify, is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And here's another very notorious, I guess, line. Pilate says, what is truth? Of course, he's being cynical. He's being skeptical. He's being rhetorical, really. He's basically saying, you know, what is truth? There's no truth. There's no truth. And yet right before his eyes is standing the embodiment of truth. Jesus was very clear about what truth is. He said in, we read it in John's Gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus actually is the embodiment of truth. We often say that, you know, God is love. And we get that because every thing about God is love. <laughs> He's the expression of love in every way, shape, and form. And in the same way, Jesus is truth. 
the facts about his identity, that he was the second person of the Trinity. And when he said that I am God, it was true. His incarnation, his story is true. That he as God came and became man in the flesh. His mission is true. That we needed a savior. That we had rejected God. That we um, needed reconciliation with the holy God. That was true. Why he came was true. His teachings all were true. They were the essence of truth. And so when he says he's truth, he is the author of truth, the genesis of it. He's the embodiment of it. He is truth, just as he is love. He is truth. And Jesus, who is truth, claimed that the truth will set you free. We read in John 8, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth, He, Jesus, sets us free. Sets us free from our bondage, our slavery to sin and, and, and Satan and death, and gives us a new life of freedom and hope and eternal life. The truth sets us free. And then once we're set free, we read the words of Jesus again, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So not only does he set us free, but once we are free, he gives us his Holy Spirit, which is called the spirit of truth. And within us is the truth. And the truth will lead us into truth. We possess the truth in the spirit of truth. And this is the interesting thing. That as we possess the truth, as we surrender to the truth, the truth changes us. The truth, if we lend ourselves to it, has the effect of changing us. And, and that's all based on the fact that, that we were lost and in sin, And we've been saved out of that. And we are being changed. Paul writes about it. He says in the book of uh, Titus, as he's writing to Titus, he says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to, the, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And so as we possess the truth, we are changed and become godly. In other words, we become more like Christ because Christ is truth and we possess truth. We have the spirit of truth in us. And so, truth is a dynamic effect in us. 
Truth is not something that we possess and it sits dormant in us. Truth is a catalyst for change. And change towards truth. Change towards Christ. Change towards godliness. So the truth sets us free. We possess the truth and it makes us more like Christ. The thing is that we have to choose truth. We have to choose it. Scripture is very clear that, that accepting truth is not sort of an involuntary thing or an automatic thing. It is something that we literally, intentionally, deliberately choose. We choose to be on the side of truth. Scriptures shows this all over the place. For instance, uh, in handling the truth, we, we, we either embrace it, and then you see words like, Consider the truth, hold on to the truth, embrace the truth, testify to the truth, live in the truth, delight in the truth, worship in the truth, rejoice in it. We either embrace it or we reject the truth. The truth we can distort, we can depart from it, we can suppress it, we can oppose it, we can exchange it, we can deny it, we can reject it, we can wander from it. When the religious leaders of the day encountered Jesus, they encountered truth. And Jesus, in different words, basically said to them, guess what? You can't handle the truth. You simply can't handle the truth. And then he explained, he said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I am telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you don't belong to God. And so when we're confronted with the truth, we make a decision. We either embrace it which leads to change, or we reject it, which leads to dormancy. It, it leads to stagnation. It leads to further just erosion and corruption. But when we choose truth, we choose a path a dynamic path towards truth and becoming more like Christ. 
Well, our, our story that we're following in the book of Acts, where we have now Paul and Silas on a missionary journey, it's, it's an account of, of how people handled the truth. And as I was studying for this week, I, I thought to myself, how striking is the difference between these two groups of people that we're going to read about and how they handled the truth. How they either embraced it or rejected it. So I'm going to read to you, and I just want you to listen about the contrast. I want you to consider the difference between the Thessalonican Jews and the Berean Jews, as I read in Acts 17, 1 to 15. First, we're in Thessalonica. When Paul and his companions had passed through and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there's nothing. there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and all the others post bond and let them go. So that was Paul and Silas's experience in Thessalonica. There were some people who embraced the truth, but it seems that the largest numbers were upset about being confronted with the truth. And they, of course, lied and made Paul and Silas and Jason and anybody who was a supporter out to be more than they were. I guess they considered going around freeing people from sin and Satan trouble. And so they made their lives miserable. Let's move on to Berea, though. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they, they, they couldn't be satisfied with just being lost liars in Thessalonica, causing trouble and denying the truth there. They had to be missionaries for deceit. Some of them went there to Berea as well, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Saul and Paul, Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. 
Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. I think that the, the, the powerful statement there is this. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You see, even though they were hadn't just sort of accepted it willy-nilly and without any consideration, they were on the side of truth because they wanted to, they didn't find truth to be an affront to their worldview. They weren't threatened by truth. They were of noble character. They considered truth. Whereas the Thessalonians, by and large, just turned off. This is new. This will make us change. This is going to uh, upset the apple cart. We don't want to have anything to do with that. At least they appreciated, they understood that truth elicits change. How different were they? The Thessalonican Jews didn't even consider the merits of the truth. They had no inclination to change. They saw truth as a threat to what they had decided was truth. And they did what the they did, they did what they could to snuff it out. They were children of Satan, who is the father of lies. Just as Christ is the embodiment of truth, Satan is the father of lies. I love what it says. His natural language, his first language is deceit. The Berean Jews, on the other hand, were, were true seekers of truth. Willy, were willing to truly consider its merits. And then many of them accepted the truth and were willing to change. Because as we've said, <coughs> accepting truth requires change. And so my question to you this morning is, how are you handling the truth? Can you handle the truth? We've all had the truth presented to us. How have you responded to the truth? Have you allowed the truth to change you? Have you allowed the truth that you are a sinner? Have you allowed that to be considered? Have you considered that you are lost? Have you considered that you need a Savior? That you are not in and of yourself okay? Have you considered that? How have you handled the truth about that? Perhaps you've, you've accepted that and you've accepted Christ as your Savior. But the truth, the spirit of truth, keeps working in your heart and wants to bring you into Christ-likeness. 
Are you allowing the spirit of truth to lead you into Christ-likeness? Are you allowing the dynamic nature of truth to change you and transform you into the image of Christ? Are you being transformed? Or are you basically saying, I want that freedom, but I don't want to change this is who I am, and this is who I always will be, and if you don't like it, lump it. You see, Christians are people who are constantly changing. I mean, true Christians. People who really have accepted truth and are open to truth and willing to accept truth. The truth of our sinfulness, the truth of the issues in our lives that are not godly and need to be changed and transformed. A true Christian, a true follower of Jesus Christ, is willing to listen to the spirit of truth as he convicts them of the areas in which they need to change and let go and to embrace godliness. How are you handling the truth? Can you handle the truth? Scripture is also very clear about one thing. And that is that many of us fake it. Many of us fake it. We, we, we claim to be on the side of truth, but there's no evidence. There's no evidence at all for it. In 1 John, John writes, Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands, is a liar. <laughs> and the truth is not in that person. And so we can pretend and maybe even fool ourselves into thinking that we're followers of Jesus Christ, but we have actually no intention of being like Christ or changing. We are intent on Staying the same because, quite frankly, change is hard. Admitting that we are short-tempered or intolerant or hateful. That we are gossip. That we lie. Confronting that as the truth confronts, confronts us, as the spirit of truth confronts us and not being willing to change, basically says that you're not on the side of truth. You're a liar. On the last day, we, we know in the judgment, there's going to be a lot of people saying, whoa, 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 I, I'm on the side of truth. I did all this stuff that proves. But Jesus will say, I know your character. I know who you truly are. I know that your character hasn't changed since the day you accepted truth. Therefore, you're not in the truth. You're not on the side of truth. Oh, that we would be like the Bereans. That we would be open and humble and willing to accept the spirit of truth 
and that we would be willing to change. Knowing that in and of ourselves we are lost and need a Savior and need to change. Oh, that we would be like the Bereans who considered the truth, didn't just reject it, and allowed it to transform them as they became more and more like Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we acknowledge and recognize you that you are the source, the source of truth. You are truth. And that Jesus Christ, as he incarnated, embodied truth, there was no deceit in him. Everything about him was true. His claims about his identity, his teaching, everything. Even the things that he said about us that aren't politically correct. That we aren't okay. It's all true. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that we would soberly consider whether we are on the side of truth, whether we are on the side of accepting what you have said as true and doing something about it. Help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to be transformed into your likeness as we submit to the authority of your truth in our life. You're an awesome God. And we know, Lord, that as we do, you're rooting for us. You're on our side. When we fail, you don't condemn us. But you pick us up and keep us moving. Because you are also love. Thank you for that. You're a good, good father. Thank you. Amen.